You are listening to a podcast of Risen Savior Lutheran Church in Chula Vista, California. Growing in faith, living in hope, serving in love, all to the glory of God. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, I don't think it's going too far to assume that you would probably agree with me that it's not very complimentary to speak of somebody as being a troublemaker. In fact, if you were standing next to your friend and you were meeting somebody else and your friend introduces you to this individual, you would probably do a double take if your friend introduced you and said, this is my friend so-and-so, he's a bit of a troublemaker. Generally speaking, not a very complimentary term, is it, to call somebody a troublemaker. This morning, though, when we consider the words and the actions of the Apostle Paul, we're somewhat used to Paul taking things and kind of showing us a different way to look at them, a different angle. You recall in in Paul's letters how oftentimes he would take something and and state almost the opposite of what we would think would be true. For example, consider his letter to the Philippians, to the believers in Philippi. When he was imprisoned, Paul spoke words of praise for being in jail, didn't he? He recognized the blessings that God had showered on other people uh, in the jail and both those jailkeepers and those who were incarcerated. He spoke of it being a good thing that he was in chains for the sake of the gospel because that allowed others to hear the gospel. And, and even though we know, as those who are in Christ, where we're going to end up at the end of the day in, in heaven with Jesus, nevertheless, we don't necessarily speak all the time in glowing terms about death. But again, in the very same letter, the Apostle Paul did just that when when wrestling with whether or not he was going to be called home to heaven, which in his mind was better by far, no-brainer, or to continue to be alive in Christ. So maybe it doesn't surprise us so much to hear Paul speaking about causing trouble, especially when we recognize that context is everything, isn't it? Because when Paul is talking about causing trouble, trouble. He is not in any way just condoning anybody who just wants to ruffle feathers or just make a stink about something just for the sake of causing trouble. However, Paul recognizes when that trouble is caused as a result of proclaiming the gospel, then he does not even bat an eye at it. And in fact, he welcomes it and he embraces it. That kind of trouble Paul is willing to put up with if it comes because of proclaiming the gospel. And so this morning, it's my prayer that we would look to Paul and have the same attitude, the same approach, the same spirit that Paul does, that that we too would strive to be prepared to cause trouble for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. And of course, if we are going to be out causing trouble, proclaiming the gospel, then we have to be prepared. And what does it mean to be prepared to cause trouble for the sake of the gospel. Well, first of all, we probably should understand what we mean when we're talking about the gospel. What is the definition of the gospel? When you think back to your days of confirmation or catechism, maybe you'll hear them next Sunday, uh, an examination, that basic definition of the gospel is the good news, right? 
but we have to really clarify it a little more than that because it's also good news that I shed a few pounds or I saved a ton of money on my car insurance, isn't it? But the gospel is a little more than that kind of good news. The good news of the gospel is centered on Jesus Christ and everything that he did in his life, in his suffering, and his death. That's the gospel. And so being prepared to cause trouble means that we have to first know our Savior, who is really the center of the gospel. And isn't that what Paul demonstrated when we heard on his mission stop, one of his three or four missionary journeys, and he stopped in Thessalonica, Listen to Luke's recording of it in the book of Acts. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Paul knew what the gospel was all about. It was all about the Savior. And Paul knew from Scripture, looking at everything that was prophesied about Jesus, that this was very much the one who came, who was promised, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And that he had to die just as in fact he had. And that he had to rise just as in fact he had. Paul knows the gospel, doesn't he? And we can look to his other letters. Consider uh, what he wrote to the Corinthians during his time with them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or, or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You might say, I resolved to know nothing other than the gospel and only the gospel because that's all that mattered while I was among you. Nothing else. Paul knew his Savior. Paul was prepared to cause trouble proclaiming the gospel. And as you consider uh, when Paul speaks about the gospel, whether it's on his missionary journeys or, or it's reading through any of the letters, the epistles that he's written in the New Testament, not only is it very clear that Paul knows what the gospel is, but it's also very clear that Paul knows what the gospel is not. In fact, nowhere, as you follow him along his missionary journeys or read through his letters, nowhere will you find Paul trying to pass off Jesus as a how-to book or some do-it-yourself video that just has a few easy steps that you need to follow to get to heaven. Paul does not hold up Jesus first and foremost as an example. He is that, but not primarily. Paul recognizes Jesus first and foremost must be seen as substitute. And as our substitute, only a complete and whole reliance upon him for every aspect that is needed for salvation, our perfection, our righteousness, the payment for sin, that only in our substitute Jesus is all of that met perfectly. Paul knew his Savior. And how did he know his Savior? He knew the Scriptures, didn't he? We have two examples as we focus on our lesson from Acts this morning. The example of those Christians in Thessalonica, where, where uh, really the example is Paul's example of holding up before them his knowledge of the Savior, that no other knowledge is sufficient for salvation. We have another example of the Bereans, who also knew their Savior, but how did they know him? 
They searched the scriptures, didn't they? Some in Thessalonica were were brought into Christ's kingdom through the message of the gospel, but still there were enough rabble-rousers to send Paul and his companions away. And they ended up in Berea. And listen to the description of what happened after leaving Thessalonica. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Recall what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Paul himself confessed, I didn't sway you with my superior eloquence or wisdom. It was the gospel and only the gospel. And so the Bereans were not going to be won over by Paul just because of his name or his reputation. They weren't just going to take his word for it. They were going to say, we need to compare his words on the basis of Scripture. And so they searched intently through those those scriptures, pouring over the scriptures to confirm what Paul said with the same intensity of of a teenage girl who is searching for her lost smartphone. The Bereans recognized how important it was to match what they heard from any preacher with the words of Scripture. Now, I want you to uh, presume for a second. Just just pretend that uh, we're going to lift up out of Scripture the verses about the Bereans, and we're going to replace your family name in your household. And see if that is an accurate description. So we continue. We read through those verses again. Verse 11. Instead of the Bereans, now the, insert your family name here, were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Sounds like your home, doesn't it? Sounds just like my home, doesn't it? Every time the word of God is preached or spoken, I am listening eagerly. Every day in my home, we are searching the scriptures voraciously. Right? Right? You neither? We see the Bereans held up as an ideal, don't we? But they also put us to shame. They put us to shame because even though we know that should be our attitude, that should be our mindset, to have that same intense focus on being in the Word of God and always comparing the music that we listen to, the books that we read, everything, comparing it to this, to the Word of God. We might even be quick to point out to somebody, hey, look, I've got one of those Bible apps on my smartphone, but it stops there because we're too embarrassed to really admit that we don't know how to navigate our way around it because of infrequent use. Because what we'd rather be doing in our free time is seeing if we can increase our high score on the latest game du jour on our smartphone. The fact of the matter is, the example of the Bereans puts us to shame, doesn't it? leads us to confess apathy and indifference to the Word of God. leads us to confess, then, that if I don't search the Scriptures, if I don't know the Scriptures, then then, then maybe, maybe I'm not all that qualified to be causing trouble for the sake of the Gospel. And here's the beauty of how God operates. 
He's not so much interested in continuing to, to beat you over the head with the club of his law. That law has a purpose. And the irony is that the very scriptures that you and I are apathetic towards far more than we ought to be in our lives of Christian faith, the very same scriptures that we ignore is exactly where Jesus would direct us to in our ignorance, in our ignoring them, because it's in those scriptures that we are assured that all of the sins that your Savior paid for include apathy and indifference to his word. That the blood stains on the cross are the assurance that your Savior died for you. And the echo of the empty tomb is God's guarantee that he accepted in full Christ's payment for your sins. Yes, even the times where as polar opposites to the Bereans, we actually, maybe, maybe we are more like the lukewarm Laodiceans described in Revelation. But God the Father accepting his son's payment is all the assurance that you need that God has forgiven those sins. And that is why he wants you in his word. Not so that you can keep tabs and tally how frequently you're in his word, but because in the scriptures is the Savior, and the Savior is revealed in the scriptures. You see why it's so essential that we know both the Savior and the scriptures. You can't know one without the other. Nobody ever came to know Jesus, the Savior, apart from knowing the scriptures. And if you are searching the scriptures intently, you are only going to grow in your knowledge and your understanding and your appreciation of all that your gracious Savior has done for you. That's what God is interested in. He wants you to know how deeply he loves you in Christ Jesus. And so to know the Savior is to know the Scriptures. To know the Scriptures is to know your Savior even better. And you notice, too, in, in Paul's first stop in our lesson this morning in Acts in Thessalonica, again, it wasn't superior wisdom or eloquence, but did you notice how he reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue? If you look back, to that first section, as, was, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul knew his Savior so well because Paul knew his scriptures so well. He recognized that they go hand in hand. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are we qualified like Paul? You are. You do know your Savior. You do know your scriptures. You know that this also is a lifelong process, isn't it? Again, next Sunday, I believe, is, is confirmation and examination. Look back on next Sunday and, and reflect on your own examination, your confirmation, as you were, were taught those truths and recognize that that wasn't the pinnacle of my Christian faith. Instead, think of your confirmation as really setting up base camp. And that gives you everything that you need for the rest of your life to continue growing as you climb that mountain to be closer to your Savior. What you learned in your confirmation class that's just the start. It's preparing you for a life of learning and growing in the scriptures where God wants to reveal to you more and more each and every day his great love for you in Christ Jesus who has washed away your sins. 
Martin Luther knew full well that this was not just a one-time thing in your life or, or just for a, something that happened in, in a portion of your life. And he demonstrated that one time when his son came home from school and he, he noticed visibly how excited his son was. So he asked him uh, what the reason for his excitement was. And his son's response was, well, Dad, we finally finished the catechism. And as you may know, Luther's response was, well, then you are much farther ahead than I am. Luther recognized, you never finish the catechism. You don't finish the scriptures. The Christian life is one of constantly growing in those scriptures. And as you grow in them, you know your Savior better. And as you know your Savior better, then each of us continue to grow together and are better equipped to go together so that for the sake of the gospel, we might be willing to cause trouble anywhere that gospel is preached. May God grant it. Amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this Risen Savior podcast. For more information about our church, check us out online at risensavior.us.